Good morning again. Welcome again to all of you who are in the room, all of you who are joining us online. My name is Dion. It's an honor to be here with you as always. I want to ask you today as we start off, have you ever waited for an invitation? Maybe it's to, uh, to, a, to a wedding, to a party, uh, maybe it's to some other event, maybe, maybe a dance. I know we just got through all of the high school homecoming season, so maybe this is a little painful for you to talk about this, but have you ever, have you ever waited for an invitation to something, something that you really wanted to go to, something that was really important or that sounded really exciting, and, and you waited for an invitation, but the invitation never came? I think we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, in fact, for me in high school, that happened quite a lot. Uh, if you had a painful homecoming season, so did I, often in high school. Um, for me uh, in high school, I, was, I think I was a pretty likable kid during the day. I had lots of friends during the school day. But at least for the first couple of years of high school, it was like I just couldn't scratch into a social life outside of high school. And so um, Monday would come around and I'd hear other students, you know, gathered and, and they'd be talking about what they did over the weekend and how they were all together and they were at a party or a haunted house or they went to this thing. And, and, and I just wondered, like, what's wrong with me? Why was I never invited to that stuff? Or I would hear them talking about the weekend ahead on a Friday and I'd hear them making plans for the weekend and I'd just, I'd just be waiting for someone to say, hey, Dion, want to come? Come with us. And, and instead I heard them talking about it and then they went on their way and you know, waiting for an invitation that never came. Again, I, I think at some point in our life, this has happened to us. We've wanted so badly to be invited, and we haven't been. But today, I actually want to ask you about something else. I want to ask you if you've, if, I want to ask you about if you've ever been on the other side of this whole thing. Have you ever been the host of an event? Have you ever held an event, a party, a celebration, and uh, you, you invited people, you sent out invitations to people, you, you told people to come, and maybe they even gave you the impression that they were coming, and then when the event came, no one showed. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, can you imagine? Probably less likely than the first scenario, but, you know, you go up with the, uh, with the birthday cake and the balloons, and, and you go up to Bouncy you, and you're sitting there with the birthday boy or birthday girl for their party, and, you know, all the kids in their class are supposed to come, and, and time comes, and... No one's there, and five minutes later, still no one's there. Fifteen minutes later, no one's there. I actually know a guy, this, uh, this exact thing happened to him. He was, uh, he was in high school, and um, he invited his whole team over at the end of their sports season to his house for an end-of-the-year party. Invited every member of his team, and, and the event came, the day came, and he's sitting at his house, and no one came. Actually, that's not true. One person came, which makes it even worse because it wasn't a miscommunication. He didn't tell people the wrong day on the invitation. One person came, and it wasn't even a member of the team. It was the manager of the team who came. If you're sitting there at a party you prepared, and people led you to believe that they were coming, and no one shows, and you're watching the, you know, the minutes tick by, what's going on in your mind? Some of us are plotting revenge at this point, Right? Stephen King, Carrie, some of that kind of stuff, right? Uh, maybe uh, you're just feeling anger. Maybe some of you are just a little more honest with your emotions and you're just letting yourself feel the hurt in that moment. The reason I bring this up is because today we're going to talk about a parable from Jesus that is, is this exact scenario. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14 today. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable, which is just a, a story that he makes up that has some deeper 
principle or meaning or understanding behind it. And uh, Jesus tells a, a parable about a guy who throws a banquet. And we'll get into it in just a minute. But the thing that you need to know about this is, is Jesus tells this parable about a guy who throws a banquet while he is sitting at a banquet. So he's been invited by a guy, a Pharisee, to a very prominent banquet in the, uh, in the town, in the village. And so he's there at this banquet and he's observing banquet behavior and how important people act when they're all gathered together. And he uses that context, that setting, as an occasion to begin to teach about important things, about character, but then also about the kingdom of God and what it's like. And so today I want you to look at this with me, this parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. It's on page 1047 if you want to go there in your Bibles here. So Jesus replied... You know, sitting at this banquet, and he's, he's, uh, there's been some conversation before. Um, in fact, I love, I love the section before this. I wanted to fit it in, but I just I knew I couldn't. So go back and read the earlier verses of Luke 14. Some of my life verses are there about how to choose your spot at a banquet and, and about being humble. So make sure you look at those later on. But just looking here, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. See, just like I told you. At the time of the banquet... He sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So um, in the ancient world, this works a little bit differently. They're not quite as time sensitive as we are today. So today, you know, you send out an invitation, you say there's going to be a party at three o'clock, and then, you know, maybe that day you even send out an Evite reminder, says, hey, remember the party's at three o'clock, and you just kind of expect three o'clock rolls around, people are going to show, right? Well, in the ancient world, you would send out notice, like, hey, there's going to be a party, you're invited, and, and it was more like, and we'll let you know when it's ready. You know, it's going to be about this span of time. And then when you got everything pulled together, when everything was ready, you would send out servants, you'd send out messengers to say, hey, it's time. It's time for the wedding. It's time for the party. It's time for the banquet. And then the people would come. You know, this is kind of like in the country churches long ago, they'd ring the church bells and people knew it was time for church and they'd hear the bells and they'd start walking. So this is kind of how it works. So these people have been invited. They've given the guest, or I'm sorry, the master, some sort of indication that they're going to come. And the master has prepared everything. The banquet's ready, gone to great expense to get it ready for everyone who is supposed to come. Sends out the servant to say, hey guys, it's, it's time, follow me. The banquet's ready. And watch what happens. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so obviously I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. So the servant, you know, he, he goes and he's trying to get these people to come. All right, the banquet's ready, and this should be a great time. And, and person after person after person says, no, I'm sorry. I've got more important things to do. I'm busy. I'm washing my hair. You know, i got to catch up on my latest show, The Walking Dead premieres tonight, I got to watch that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all of these excuses after excuse after excuses. So the, the servant comes back, and, and he's so dejected, and he begins, to, uh, he begins to tell the master about all of the excuses. Now again, if you're the master, and, and you've invited these people, you've created a banquet for them, to bless them, to honor them, to feed them, to, to you know, celebrate with them, you're gifting these people with a banquet, and they told you they were going to come, and they don't come, how are you feeling in that moment? I know I'd be feeling pretty angry, and as we're going to see in a moment, uh, the master is also angry, but some of our feelings may go beyond anger, they may go to other places. 
See, if you're the master and you create this banquet and no one is showing up, they're all giving you lame excuses, I wonder if some of you might feel relieved. You know, maybe you, maybe you didn't want to do it anyway. Maybe it was an obligation. And you're looking at all this food and you're thinking, great, I've got a month of leftovers and I don't have to deal with all these people. Or maybe you're feeling elitist. I'll just tell you, when I'm rejected in life, I go elitist. And so I think, well, clearly it's just because I'm too good and you're not worthy of me. <laughs> so I protect my ego. And I try to do this with my kids, you know, when they feel rejected. And my wife, she always fights with me. She goes, what are you doing? You're going to mess them up. And I'm like, no, trust me, this works. And she's like, judging by you, I don't know that it works. Um, how many of us would be innovative, though? You know, you've got this banquet, you've got all this food, the party's ready, and no one's coming. How many of us would, would, would our first thought would be like, well, here's an opportunity. I don't know that many of us would, and yet I want you to see exactly what this master does as he gets news from his servant. Take a look. It says, uh, then the owner of the house, the master, became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring in, so go out, and I want you to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So here's what I want you to do. We've got all of this food, and the invited guests, the guests of honor, you know, all the A-list people, they're too busy, they're too important. So here's what I want you to do. We're not going to waste this moment, because I've got a banquet, and I want to feed people, and I want to bless people, and I want people to have a good time. So I want you to go out, and I want you to find all the people who've got no better options tonight. The people who are too poor to be invited, the people who are crippled and they can't get here, the people who are lame, people who are blind, all of the people who are forgotten, all of the people that aren't on anyone else's list, I want you to invite them, I want you to bring them in, you know, do whatever you have to to get them here, and I want them to enjoy my banquet. It's pretty innovative, isn't it? And, and so the servants, they do this. They go out and they do exactly what the master says. And, and those people come in. And these people are probably people who have never been invited to a banquet like this in their life. And so they're having the time of their life. But the servant looks around and says, uh, Sir, to the master, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Go out to the roads and country lanes. You know, go way out of town. Go out to the far off places. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel people to come in so that my house will be full. And then here's the concluding word here in, in this parable. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet because it's all going to be eaten up by people who've been compelled, invited to come at the last minute. So this is the parable Jesus tells while he's sitting at a banquet. Now what does it mean? Well, there are a couple of different levels of interpretation to this, to this thing. You know, for starters, Jesus is describing what's going on in his life, in his, in his ministry. In the Old Testament, um, in Messianic prophecies, the Messianic age, the day when the Messiah would come, was often described as a banquet as the beginning of this great banquet of the Father. And, and, uh, and so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, that it's now here. This banquet of the Father is beginning, this banquet of, of love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance and relationship that the Father wants to invite people into. And the original invitees to this banquet were the Jews. 
But in Jesus' ministry, as, as you know if you know the Gospels, the Jews hadn't been so responsive. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here, the banquet's ready, the Father is ready to bless you with something new and extraordinary and wonderful. And most of the Jews in his day were kind of like, eh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced, I'm busy. And so Jesus, what does he do? He goes to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. So Jesus is explaining what his ministry is all about. Why does he hang out with these sinful people? Why is he hanging out with the Gentiles? Those are the people, you know, in the far off places, the country lanes, uh, you know, way out of town, the, the Gentiles. Why is he doing that? Because the people who were initially invited have rejected him. But I actually think that this parable for us, I mean, you know, that's, that's interesting but I think more simply, at the heart of this parable, there's, there's a truth that I really want us to hold on to. And, and I think the point of this parable is to describe in great detail the heart of the host. It's to help us understand the heart of the master, the heart of our Father in heaven. That he has a heart to bless people. And when it's time for him to, to bless people, when he wants to give people good things and the house is empty, he doesn't fret too much about it, but instead he does something else. He pursues people. See, I think that's what this parable is ultimately about. It's a picture of the Father in heaven and what he's like, what he does. Even when he's being rejected by people, he pursues people. And I think this is so important for us to understand. If, if you don't remember anything about the parable, if you look at it later and you're like, I can't figure out what it means, I can't remember what it means, just remember this, that it's about the Father who pursues people because this is what makes our God so different. From all of those other so-called gods of other world religions, you know, in every other world religion, their picture of God or the gods, it, it's not this. Instead, the gods, they stand a long way off, a far way off, and they expect people to pursue them, Right? And uh, in other religions, it's your burden to make yourself worthy, to make yourself clean, to make yourself holy, to make yourself good enough to be on the A-list, to get an invite, to come into the presence of those gods to receive their favor and blessing. In every other world religion, this is how it works. People pursue the gods, and you're never sure whether you've done well enough to, to be in their presence. You're never sure. But, but what makes our God so different, the true God so different, is that he's not a God who stands a long way off and waits for people to prove themselves worthy. He doesn't just let into his banquet those who are pursuing him. Instead, he's a God who pursues people. He goes out into the streets and into the alleys, and he finds people who don't even know there's a banquet going on, and he compels them to come. See, in, in the very next chapter, Luke, the writer of all this, the one who recorded all of these things of Jesus and arranged them in his gospel, he so badly wants you to understand this about the Father that he, he very deliberately arranged these narratives so that they would fit together. And so in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 15, Luke goes on and, and, and he makes this point again and he tells three stories, three parables again, or he records the stories of Jesus, I should say, where Jesus tells three stories. And right in a row, Jesus talks about who the father is and he describes him like a, a shepherd who lost one of his sheep. And then he talks about a woman who lost a valuable coin in her house. And then in the third story, three in a row, hat trick here, he, uh, he describes a father, do you know, a father who lost his you know the story of the prodigal son? See, 
Jesus wants you to understand this. Luke wants you to understand this, that our father is a father who pursues people. And so here in this parable, we see a father who, who uh, a master who goes out and, and he invites people to come. And he says, come, I will make you worthy. I, w- I want you to come. I want you to receive my blessing and my favor in relationship with me and forgiveness. In Luke chapter 15, in each one of those parables where someone lost something, they launch an all-out search to go and find it. So the shepherd leaves behind 99 sheep and he goes out into the open country and he finds that one lost sheep and he brings it home. And and the woman, she sweeps her whole house until she finds that one coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates. And and in the story of the prodigal son, the father, when he sees his son who who has just dishonored him and made a mess of his life and squandered his inheritance, when he sees his son coming a long way off, do you remember what he does? He says, no, 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 that's not what he does, right? When he sees his son coming a long way off, he runs to him and he throws his arms around him. You get the message? The message is our God is a God who pursues people. And I just got to ask you, isn't this your story? I don't even know your story, but, but I'm pretty sure this is your story on some level, somehow, this is your story. Can anyone sitting here today say, hey, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm in a relationship with God, the reason I'm living under his blessing is because I've been faithful. I've done everything right. I've never taken a wayward step to the right or to the left. I've pursued God more than anything else in my entire life. Who can say that? Isn't your story more this, that, that, um, that God is a God who's pursued you? tell you, that's my story. I I long to be faithful. I try to be faithful. And yet I'm not so often. But here's what I know, that throughout my life, in those moments where I've just been done with God, when I've given up on him, he's never given up on me. And when I've been wayward and I've not been pursuing him, he's been pursuing me, inviting me into something better, inviting me into relationship, inviting me into his presence, inviting me into this, this incredible banquet of blessing that comes when you live in a relationship with him. See, that's my story. It's not about me pursuing God. It's about a, it's about a, it's about a father who keeps pursuing me. And I think that's your story too. And so I, th- I think the big point of the parable is this, at least for us today. If this is who the father is at his core, that he's a God who pursues people, then isn't this who we must be as a church? But now if you look around at the American church, and we've talked about this a lot lately, just even Steve Howard talked about it last weekend again, there's no question that the banquet hall is looking pretty empty. So 4,000 churches close their doors every year. 80% of churches in America are either stagnating or declining. Nearly a quarter of adults in the U.S., 23%, nearly a quarter of adults in the U.S. claim no religious affiliation at all. They're just kind of saying, nope, I don't don't connect with anything, not even in name. See, if we pay attention to what's going on around us, the Father has, has set this incredible banquet for people. Again, this banquet of life and forgiveness and wholeness and blessing and purpose. And, and, he, and he offers it freely. It's ready. It's here for the taking. But the banquet hall is looking pretty empty. And so what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do? Are, are we going to say, hey, good, more for me? 
Are we going to become angry and bitter and, you know, just start railing against the culture and be angry at the culture and say, well, we're the faithful ones. We're the frozen chosen. It's not our fault. You know, we're, we're the good ones. We're the worthy ones. And everyone else just must be unworthy. Are we going to become hurt or bitter or angry? Or are we going to do what the Father does? Are we going to pursue people? See, over the next two years, as a part of this initiative called Next, our intention as a church is to pursue people like never before. Because if the banquet hall is looking empty in America, we're, we're not going to get bitter. We're not going to bow to anger or anything else, elitism, anything else. Instead, we're going to be just like the Father in this parable, and we're going to pursue people. And we're going to do it with an intensity and with methods that we've never used before because we believe the Father wants his banquet hall as full as possible. And so specifically, here's, here's some of what this means. It means we will be a church where everyone is not only welcomed, but wanted. See, most churches in America, you know what they do? They say, hey, we're here. If you need us, you know, come on in. You see our steeple, you see our sign. And uh, if, if you want us, you know where to find us. We'll be right here waiting. And if you come in, we might even welcome you. And we might shake your hand and say good morning, and we, we might allow you to come in and, and join us. But I think too few churches in America, too few Christians in America take on this attitude that we don't want just to be a place where people feel welcomed, everyone feels welcomed, but where they feel wanted. I'm talking about everyone. I'm talking about people who are on the B list or the C list, people who don't have their lives all together and are, are presentable in, in ways that we might think are presentable. We want to be a church where everyone is not only welcome, but they're wanted. Why? Because that's who the Father is. He wants them there. And so that means for us over the next two years that we are going to be very deliberate about what we're doing in our, in our ministry programming. And we're going to do even more of going into the streets and the alleys, compelling people to come. That means our work through, through uh, care ministries and, you know, addressing the needs of hurting people in our community through Christ in Action, where we've got this incredible ministry called Christ in Action, where people in West County who are in financial need, and I mean, just imagine living in this community of affluence, and some of you are living it very quietly. You're living in this community of affluence, and yet you can't pay your bills. Do you know how alienating that must feel, how shame-filled your existence is? And, and you know, we, we want those people to know that the Father has something for them, that they're not just welcomed here, but they're wanted. And so through Christ in Action, we help meet their needs. And we're going to do that even more. We're hiring a social worker to help us do case management for people, realizing that there's, there's lots of different things that are going on in people's lives that need to be addressed in order to give them wholeness. Again, not just being welcomed or tolerated, but being wanted. Our special needs ministry and children's ministry, you heard about it a couple of weeks ago. If you were here at the Inspired Service, We've got families with kids with special needs, and in most churches, they might be tolerated. In many churches, they won't if their kids make noise or can't handle the service. But, but here, we're going to say, you know what? We're not just going to put up with you. We want you here. And so we've got created a whole special needs ministry, and we're going to keep taking it forward to say, you know what? The Father wants you here at his banquet. We want you here. You belong here. You've been invited. You are loved. Uh, just recently, we've hired a community engagement director, David Jameson. Again, because we're not going to be a church who just says, hey, we're here. If, if you need us, you know where to find us. But, but we want to formally, David's our ambassador to businesses and organizations in the community to say, we want you here. We want you to know about the love of the Father and all of the good things that he means for you to have. So we are going to be a church 
through our hospitality, through our programming, through our worship, through everything that we do, where people understand that they're not just welcomed, but that they are wanted. Secondly, we will use every means and innovation at our disposal to pursue people. See, I love this. The father in the parable is so innovative. No one comes to the banquet, and he, he, you know, he goes, okay, I got a banquet, so what can we do? Well, let's just go and find people who've got nothing better to do and bring them in. Go to the alleys and the streets. Go to the country lanes. Compel people to come. That's innovation. And I want you to know over the next two years, we are going to keep innovating. We're going to use every means that we have at our disposal, and we will do everything we can to try to get the banquet hall of the father even fuller. And so that means that we're going to try things, and some of those things are going to fail, and some of you may be upset with us for trying them, or, but you know what? Hey, we're not going to apologize about that. We're going to be innovative to try to do whatever we can to make the banquet hall fuller. That means things in worship will continue to change as our culture changes. And I know some of you don't like worship much now, and you stick through it, and some of you love worship right now, and you know, in the next few years, you may not like worship as much, because guess what? We've got to be a church who's using every means, every innovation at our disposal to pursue the people who are not here yet. Uh, one, one really important part of this in the next two years is uh, we're even going to play with different models of doing church. Because here's what we know. I've already told you that people are fleeing institutional churches. People are just, you know, fleeing the church. And yet for many of those people, they're not necessarily done with God. Some are. Not all are. They're not necessarily like shutting off their spiritual side. They just don't believe that the institutional church has anything really to offer them. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not a credible way to get to God. It's, it's a bunch of game playing. And so they've given up on the institutional church. Well, well, in the meantime, we at St. John, we've got this live stream that six to 800 people a weekend tune into. And some of them are people like you who go away on vacation and you know, you got sick kids and you, you watch it at home or But some of these people, a percentage of these people, this, right now, this is your only church experience. And while we think that's great, here's what we think we can do. That we can leverage our live stream as a backbone to create a house church movement. So instead of people just watching live stream at home, we believe that all over our community, all over the U.S., anywhere in the world, we could create New Testament, fully functioning New Testament house churches with our live stream as the backbone. And so this is how it works. You know, if, if any one of you in this room wants to try this, you could do it. And you could say, I'm going to open up my home, my living room. And, uh, and we as a, as a church will provide some coaching and development and mentoring to help you do this. And uh, you're going to invite, you just say, hey, I'm going to open up my home. And I'm going to invite my friends, my coworkers, people who either live too far from St. John to come or people who would never step foot in a church like this or an institutional church that's too big or they just don't trust it, whatever. But, but I'm going to invite them into my living room and with the live stream as a backbone, we're going to have, we're going to do church. And so I can say, hey, you may never go to church, but why don't you come over to my house and we're going to have a spiritual experience. We're going to, we're going to do church a different way. Will you come? Because here's what, here's what we believe. Here's what the parable shows us. That if people aren't willing to come here, if they don't know that this is a place of life and hope, if they think it's just, you know, the games that so many other churches play, then we'll take the church to them. We'll bring it to the house next door to them. We'll bring it to their brother-in-law's house. We'll bring it to their co-worker's house. And through this, we believe we can reach people. We can pursue people with the gospel who we can't reach any other way. Now, will it work? I don't know. 
but we're going to try it because we will use every means and innovation at our disposal to pursue people. Thirdly, we will keep pushing to be people who courageously invest and invite. Now, if these words, courageously invest and invite, sound familiar to you, that's because we prayed them as a congregation about 15, 16 months ago, right when I stepped into my new role. We had 40 days where we prayed, and this is one of the things that we prayed for, for the courage to invest and invite. And over the next two years, we're going to keep investing in you so that you can keep investing in others and ultimately then invite them to come either here to St. John or, or to find some other way to come into the banquet that the Father has placed before us. See, here, here's what we know. We know, we've done research, that most people in our community, they don't even know we're here. And if they know we're here, they're not sure what we are. They're definitely not sure what we're all about. They, they don't know that here in this place, there is an opportunity to come under the love of the Father. That there's an opportunity to, to be forgiven. To be given new purpose. They don't know that there's an opportunity to find connection with people and with God himself. To find hope and healing. To find wholeness. They don't know. The only way they find out, and you've heard the inspired service, people find out the only way they find out is through you. So many people have been burned by the church, they've been manipulated, other people have been bored by the church, they've been condescended to, and, and they've heard people talk about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with real life, and they've given up. But through you, they start to find out that there's something going on. Like the servants in the parable, you're going out to places and you're saying, hey, why don't you come to my church? And people are coming, and guess what? They're discovering that the Father has great things for them, that there's blessing here, and, and they're receiving that. So over the next two years, we're going to keep pouring into you. We're going to keep investing in you. We're going to keep pushing you to invest in others, to live the six, to be someone to another person, two parts of our, our, our life journey model, one one fifteen six. And then we're going to encourage you to invite them, to let them know that the Father has set a great banquet, and it's ready, and it's free, and it's for them, and he wants them there. And it doesn't matter what their past is. It doesn't matter if they, if they can see themselves belonging here. It doesn't matter. The Father himself wants them there. And, and we are going to invest in you. We're going to encourage you to compel them to come under the love of God, whether it be here or somewhere else. See, most churches right now in America are wringing their hands about what's going on in the culture. Or they're getting elitist, or they're getting angry, or they're getting bitter, or they're just, you know, let's, let's just circle the wagons and close our ranks and withstand any attack from the outside. That's not, that's not what's in the heart of the Father. And we're not going to be that kind of church. We will not bow to bitterness or hopelessness. We will not turn to selfishness. We will not turn inward Instead, we're, we're going to model the heart of the Father over the next two years in so many different ways. I just gave you a highlight, but that's part of what next is about. We, we are going to pursue people with an intensity and with methods that we have never tried before so that the banquet hall might become even more full. But this has to be personal. This can't just be me talking about this and uh, talking about what our leadership is going to do. This has to be personal. 
And so that's why as a part of next, if you, if you look at the sub, you know, phrases underneath, there's three phrases, lean in, step up, break out. That's why we're, we're just saying every person here, every person online who calls St. John home, we are challenging you to lean into this. This has to be your heartbeat too. Because when we lean in together, when we step up and sacrifice together, then we will break out together and we will see the banquet hall get fuller and fuller and fuller and God will be glorified and people will find wholeness and it's going to be incredible. But it's got to be each and every one of us doing this. And so, so today, here's what I want to give you as we close. I want to give you something to help you lean in, okay? So if you've got a phone, smartphone right now, go ahead and, uh, and take it out. Um, if, you, if you keep a paper calendar... That's kind of how you keep reminders in your life. You can take that out. If you don't have anything on you, you know, you can take that back of the handout that you got when you came in. The, the, uh, and uh, at the back section, there's like a section for notes. You can take that out, grab a pen. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a reminder this week. A reminder to lean in. A reminder to pray specifically. And I've got a list here of things that I want you to pray about. And again, if you've got a smartphone... Right now, snap a picture of, of, of it up here or right here. Snap a picture of this list. Otherwise, quickly just take some notes. Three petitions that I want you to pray about. Again, if this is just me doing this, if this is just our leadership doing this, then the Father's heart to see his banquet full will not be honored. It's got to be all of us, 100% of us, leaning into this, asking God for this, doing our part to do this. Okay? And these are the three things I want you to pray about. First, I want you to pray for others. So you know people in your life, just like I do, who either don't know that there is a banquet going on, that the Father has this banquet of blessing that they are, they are wanted at. Their presence is desired there. They just don't know. Or you know people like I do who are resisting their invitation. So the first petition, sometime this week, again, you pick the time. It may be 7 a.m. on a Monday. It may be you know, Wednesday night at 10 o'clock. Uh, create a reminder and commit to praying these things. So we're going to pray for others who don't know they're invited who don't know that this church even exists, who think they know about God and, and what his heart is like, but they're so wrong. We're going to pray for them that they don't know that they're invited, uh, for those who don't know they're invited, rather, or those who are resisting their invitation. Second, we're going to pray for our church, that we might have the wisdom, the innovation, and the resources to pursue people like never before. We're going to have to try new things. I told you about a major one, our, our house church thing. We're going to have to try that. We need wisdom and we need innovation and we need the resources to, to try this stuff out. And uh, again, we won't succeed all the time, but, but still we want the wisdom of God guiding us along the way. So you're going to pray for others, you're going to pray for our church, and you're going to pray for yourself. And specifically for yourself, it's that simple prayer that we prayed 15, 16 months ago that you will have the courage to invest and invite. That you'll be like those servants in the parable, who are going out on behalf of the master. And you're pouring into people. You're living to six. You're being someone. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing life with people. You're taking a break from, from your own life and the things that matter to you to enter into the life of another. You're investing in them, and then you're inviting them to say, hey, there's, there's even more than this. There's a Father in heaven who wants to give you great things. So again, snap a picture of this, write these down, and commit to praying about these things this week. Because if we're not all leaning in together, if we're not willing to do this, if you're sitting here today and this is your church home and you're not willing to do even this, then what are you doing here? How can we sit here while the banquet hall is empty and the Father so badly wants to bless people with his goodness, how can we sit here and do nothing? At least, at least set a reminder on your phone, write it in your calendar, jot it down on your handout. 
a reminder to pray specifically about these things. Because when we pray, when we lean in, then God begins to move and act and open doors. And then just I'm going to challenge you to be open, to listen to whatever God might say. In fact, let's pray right now.